Well, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I've been like really overwhelmed and like anxious lately. Hmm. And it's hard because like, I don't know how to fix it. You know, like I've tried like meditating and reading and painting my nails and getting good sleep and exercising. And I'm still just like anxious. And I think a lot of it is stemming from how we don't know where we're going to be living in the next couple of months. And I'm like, mm-hmm. my life is very up in the air. And, uh... Yeah. I mean, I can sympathize. My life has been up in the <laughs> air for these past couple of months. So I, I, I know how you're feeling. It sucks and it's bad and it sucks bad. That being said, I don't really have a magical cure for you. Um, I know this doesn't help, but from my perspective, I'm, very sure you and I will both be fine. I know. Having fluctuating housing is no fun. I know this, but we'll be there and we'll 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 get through it. Yeah, I know. Everything will be fine. I'm just like anxious. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And, it's, uh, and that's valid. <laughs> it is. No, I'm not yeah, no, I mean that's the the plus of like our life being in flux is like I do understand where the anxiety is stemming from Mm -hmm. like it's not out of nowhere anxiety which is the worst anxiety because with that anxiety you're like why am I anxious nothing is wrong I am broken but with this it's like no I'm anxious because like I don't know what the fuck is going on and that's like an anxiety inducing thing so I like I get it I get where it's coming from but I'm still anxious (laughs) Yeah, I don't think my anxiety is coming from a lack of organization. Like, I think I'm plenty organized. I think the anxiety yeah. is just, there's a lot happening. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. also still wild being out in the world post-COVID. Like, it's it's very overwhelming yeah. to have. I feel like it all kind of happened at once. You know, everybody kind of got vaccinated yeah. at the same time. And we went from zero to 100 real quick. Like, it went from sitting in your home doing literally nothing to I have activities every day. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely for sure. And like, I don't know, like we, we've, me and my partner have been like doing things, but at the same time, I think we're definitely on the more conservative end because it's like, yeah, we're vaccinated, but like new variants come out and like the vaccine isn't 100% effective. So it's like, I don't know, I still consider us kind of at least semi quarantined. And so like, I don't feel a terrible impulse to go out and do things, but I'm also an introvert, so yeah. I can understand how there would be conflicting uh, conflicting feelings there. I'm Jen. I'm Liz. And we're Harmless Harlots. What does that mean? To us, it means being open to having more than one relationship, however you define it, as long as everyone gives fully informed, enthusiastic consent. It's also an homage to our Polly Bible, The Ethical Slut, which we recommend if you want to learn more. We are enthusiasts, not experts in this field. So if you want to learn and explore along with us, we give you our knowing, enthusiastic consent to come along. But that's actually, that's not chronological. There's, but what what you, what you were just talking about reminded me of a note in Polly Secure because I have oh, been yeah. reading it. Um, but I don't, I didn't make a list. I just kind of made notes. I'm just going to go through them chronologically. So eventually we'll get to the note that. Wait, how, how far are you though? Where are you at? I am on chapter three, which is page 73. Cool. I'm on 80. We're almost in the same spot. Good. Cool. Um, okay, so I'll just go quickly through like the first 25 pages, which is where we were before. But so I read the 
preface or the preface or the foreword or whatever it is. And so one note that I took out was in the book, they talk about, I think one of them is like the author of more than two. And they talk about how it placed the onus of building security almost entirely on the individual who felt insecure. And that is a thing that I've heard a lot in polyamory of like, there can be a bit of a toxicity of like, if someone feels insecure, then like, that's totally on them. Whereas like, I think no, like your partner can support you. And like, you know, as long as you're trying, then like, you do deserve some support and accommodation. There was another point where like, they talked about this article called the opposite of rape culture is nurturance culture. And so I went and I read that article. And basically, it was talking about I mean, basically, the summary of the article is that like rape culture is because of the patriarchy. And we need to like men need to connect with their like emotional sides. So they're not emotional monsters. So yeah, that was basically the summary of that article. Oh, she talked about how she read Sex at Dawn and it was like awakening for her. And I was like, same, same. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Oh, I also marked, um, she talked about people who describe themselves as relationship geeks. And I was like, yeah, that's what we are. We just love (laughs) relationship things. Let's talk about relationship things. Okay, so now that we've read similar chunks of Polysecure, I want to know if you agree with my analysis of at least me. I don't know about you, but definitely at least me. So I think I tend to be fairly secure in my attachments, but I think when I am not, um, which I really liked how the book points out that like, you know, you can be secure, but then when you're in anxiety inducing situations, um, it can, you know, change your attachment styles. I definitely think I am on the spectrum of preoccupied attachment where Mm -hmm. I, one of the things it was saying is like classic traits of people who are preoccupied is like, you define yourself through your relationships with other people, which I was like, yup, (laughs) not healthy, but yup, very much so. When I was reading the entire section on preoccupied attachment, um, yeah, all, they had a list of statements on page 41 and I was just like, yup, yup. Yep. yep. <laughs> One of the biggest things was when I'm going through something, I tend to reach out and turn towards others to make sense of what I'm experiencing or to make myself feel better. And holy hell is that me, which I thought everybody did that until I dated Zach. And then when Zach and I were together, Zach's biggest pet peeve was that when we were in a fight, I would go to my friends and like tell them what happened and process it. And he was like, why do you do that? And I'm like, cause you have to do that to process your feeling. What what do you do? And he's like, no, you like go into yourself and you process it on your own. And he would get angry when I would talk to people about it. And I was like, no, that's like what you have to, it it blew my mind that not everybody does that. Like I thought when you go through a stressful time, that's what everybody (laughs) did. No, Zach was very much on the other end of the, I like their little chart they made um, on page, page 56. They do this nice little, charts so there's two spectrums there's the avoidance spectrum which you can be low on avoidance or high on avoidance and then perpendicular to that spectrum they have the anxiety spectrum where you can be low on anxiety and high on anxiety so that splits it into four quadrants so if Mm -hmm. you're low in avoidance and you're low in anxiety you're secure if you're low in avoidance but you're high in anxiety you're preoccupied so that i think is me when i am in anxiety inducing situations i become preoccupied and i rely Mm -hmm. on other people if you're low in anxiety, but high in avoidance, you're dismissive. And that was Zach to a T. Like Zach was 100% <laughs> dismissive 
Um, I think that's also uh, possibly Rick to to a T in certain situations as well. <laughs> and then if you're high in avoidance and high in anxiety, you are uh, fearful, which mm-hmm. was River when I was besties with River for five years. Everything they were saying about the fearful, I was like, that was River, 100%. Um, but anyway, so that's my analysis of myself as I think when I am in anxiety-inducing situations, I become the preoccupied type entirely what i want to do really quick though is i'm going to run through their list of statements that someone with a preoccupied attachment style might make because like most of them so the first one was i am comfortable with connection and usually crave it more than my partners do yes this is literally if you remember when we started polyamory like exploring polyamory my reasoning was like i always want more than my partners do and like one partner is not enough like i need more than one partner can ever provide. And part of that is I think most of the partners I've chosen are more dismissive, which is not mm-hmm. compatible. So I think I need to get better about choosing <laughs> partners who don't have that attachment style. Um, but that's me to a T. The second point is I am very attuned to others and can detect subtle shifts in their emotional and mental states. Um, yes, I am so good at reading people. And like, that's like the trope in the friend group is like Lizzie is the mind reader. And like, I always, I'm just, I'm, which again, I used to think everybody could do that. Like, I really, I think part of why I get so on people about consent is like, I'm really good at reading people. And I guess just other people aren't, which blows my mind. Cause like, it's a very human thing to assume other humans are all like you. So because I am so good at like, I can immediately tell when like somebody's not into it. I just like assume everyone else can do that too, right? Because we're all listening 100% of the time and (laughs) other people aren't. So anyway, okay, next point. I often worry about being abandoned, rejected or not valued enough. That not as much. Maybe when I was younger, I don't, I'm not as concerned about being abandoned. Like I'm fine being single. I've had points in my life where I didn't have partners. And like, I think because in part we have a really solid family unit, I'm not worried about being abandoned because like Mm -hmm. I know I'm always going to have you guys. So yeah. that one I wouldn't say. Um, I tend to overfocus on my partners and underfocus on myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but part of that I think is also being socialized as a woman. <laughs> when I am going through something, I tend to reach out and turn towards others to make sense of what I'm experiencing to make myself feel better. That's the one I already said that Zach would always get mad at me about, but I thought everybody did that because that's just what I do. um i'm gonna skip a couple of these one of them was i tend to commit to relationships and get attached very quickly i don't agree with that one i don't think i commit very quickly so that actually was not uh reflective of me but as i mentioned in the book like not everything needs to be exactly you to a t so that one was yeah yeah well i think you can be secure with like a preoccupied leaning in the box of secure you're on the preoccupied leaning side Yeah. Well, and so that was what I liked about their chart back on page good old 56. They're like little graph thing they have. I really like it because with the spectrum of low anxiety to high anxiety, I am definitely low in avoidance, like for sure. So that puts me solidly like Mm -hmm. on the top of the graph. And then with the anxiety spectrum, when you're low in anxiety, you're secure. But when you're high in anxiety, you're preoccupied. So like, I definitely see myself as like, when I'm low in anxiety and I'm good, I have a solidly secure attachment style. But when I am high in anxiety and anything is happening, I am 100% preoccupied. Which, yeah. Uh, it just, it describes me so well. Because like, I remember when I was dating Sebastian, one of the things I said to him was I was studying for one of my exams for my job. And I told him like a month in advance of me taking this exam, like I am going to be 
so needy for the next month. I know myself and I'm going to be so needy. And it's because when I am high in anxiety, I have the preoccupied attachment type. Like it's just so, ah, like I knew this about myself, but now there's words for it and there's research behind it. And I feel so bad. <laughs> anyway. I guess my first comment on kind of your analysis is a, this isn't super in-depth research, but I did do some reading in my relationship class last semester, and they did say that an effective uh, partner conflict resolution strategy was to talk to outside people to like, uh, you know, talk it over with someone else, get an outside perspective, you know, kind of cool off a little bit. So I do think that is like, a good and normal and healthy and fine thing to do. Maybe it is related to preoccupation, but I also think that like you can talk about your conflicts with like, you should have a confidant because like, yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say this to Zach too, when we had arguments of like, I, I think my method was healthier because I tended when I would talk to people, I would get outside perspectives and like, you know, realize, oh, maybe I was in the wrong, like I shouldn't have done this or I could have done that. And like, it, it would kind of clear my head. And like, I would always come back to our next conversation, like having a better perspective. Whereas Zach, who had just like gone into himself and wallowed, would still be upset and not really have concluded anything. So mm-hmm. I do think in part, it was because of my preoccupied attachment style when under stress. But I also think my methodology was probably healthier than his because he was always high in avoidance like even regardless of where he was on the anxiety spectrum he was always really high in avoidance so yeah yeah I think that I also and I think we talked about a little bit about this earlier because my partner pointed it out to me that I do think I am in the secure square of the quadrant thing but I think I lean much more towards the avoidant part which you know I think proves that there's definitely, you know, nurture and nature because we grew up in the same household. But I think we're both probably a little predisposed, disposed, disposed, Dis- dispositioned. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> sometimes words don't sound like words. Word. Predisposed <laughs> um, is a word, yeah. Yeah, I think we're both predisposed to different ways because like all the stuff about um, the avoidant or what are they? Do they call it fe- fearful? like deactivated I don't know um but like the avoidant type is very much like values independence like kind of goes into themselves like doesn't like is fine being by themselves a lot and again maybe it's just because I'm an introvert but like and also being a J and also like they talk about having a helicopter parent which mother was at times um but I think I definitely lean much more towards the avoidant Because, like, definitely early in my current relationship, I noticed that, like, when I did get irritated, I would, like, not want to talk with anyone, which I'm much better about that now, which my partner has helped me with a lot. Um, But I definitely um, leaned a bit more to the avoidant side than than preoccupied. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that analysis as well. What was I going to say? Oh, I I actually read, well, I didn't read, but I finished the audio book of a book called Attachment, I think. I forget who it's by, but it was also like recommended on poly reading lists. And it's also about like a lot of attachment style things. Um, And basically the summary of the book was that like to become more secure, you just have to practice open, honest communication. They were like, 
all relationship problems are people not clearly expressing their needs and wants. And I was like, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. So <laughs> something that's just kind of overarching in the book is, um, okay, I'll read this quote. We have to figure out how to identify and articulate our emotional states and then find ways to self-soothe as a healthy response instead of pulling away, shutting down, or lashing out in emotional reactivity. We also need to learn how to healthily rely on others and to figure out when it's appropriate to seek support from them and to help regulate our emotions. So I think this is kind of the crux for me of like, they're secure and then like, you know, the two axes of avoiding or like, you know, preoccupation. And it's like, how do you find the balance of like, is this healthy distance or am I avoiding or is this healthy preoccupation or am I just attaching? So I imagine they'll talk about it later in the book, but I just, yeah, I just wonder because like, I do probably lean avoidant, but it's also like, I don't know, I'm an independent person. I can take care of my own problems, maybe to an unhealthy extent, but it's just like, I don't know how exactly to tell when that becomes bad but maybe if you just openly and honestly communicate all the time everything will be fine I don't know yeah I don't know maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for us to potentially live together because these are problems we can solve together and uh yeah, yeah we're both I think better at open honest communication than most of the general population uh <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, most of my notes were just highlighted in the section about um, the dismissive because I definitely resonated with that a lot more. What How do I keep ending up with you dismissive people? I need to find more of my preoccupied people because then we can lean on each other. <laughs> they They talk about that in the book, in the other book I read of how like, I guess I don't remember why they said they were attracted to each other, but like the like preoccupied avoidant pairings is like kind of a tough cycle to break because like the preoccupied person is constantly chasing the avoidant person. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that was literally when they, I, in a section I wrote in the book, me and Zach, like it described us to a T. Yeah, no, page <laughs> 64, when they were talking about a common predicament the dancer or the sorry the distancer pursuer dance where the distancer which was Zach constantly seeks more space while the pursuer which was me constantly pursues more connection we literally that was our big fight over quarantine was he was like you are too much and I was like you are not enough and it was such an issue but we yeah. did the way we worked it out was we like set boundaries on like time and stuff because I was like I need at least once a week from you and he was like, I can do at most two a week, twice a week with you. And so that was our like happy space of like, I got my needs met. He got his space, like mm -hmm. open, honest communication did solve the problem, yep. at least for a time. Yep. <laughs> I'm trying to find, ah, I just turned to it. Uh, so something that is related, this was under the, um, uh, this was under the disorganized, fearful, avoidant. So it's like the mixture of avoidant and preoccupied. Mm -hmm. um, one of the notes under there talked about uh, this child may be a highly sensitive person, HSP, or have a challenging health condition um, for like a reason why like the parents struggle to like connect with a child correctly. While being more observant might be a survival advantage, it can also be overwhelming. Someone who is constantly aware of the subtleties of the environment and of people around them 
can quickly experience sensory overload. So this here, I will look up the website to give a definition, but this resonated with me a lot. And I didn't remember if we talked about this before. A highly sensitive person is considered a personality trait. It's not like a condition. You are more aware than others of subtleties. This is mainly because your brain processes information and reflects on it more deeply. So even if you wear glasses, for example, you see more than others by noticing more. Hmm. You are also easily overwhelmed. This trait is not a new discovery, but it has been misunderstood. And so I took this little quiz that's like, are you a highly sensitive person? And it was like, if you score over 14, then you are. And I scored 19. And I was like, yeah, that makes oh. sense. The, the, one that, <laughs> the one that resonated the most with me, well, well, I don't know, that I just like picked out the most was like, you are incredibly sensitive to caffeine. I was like, yeah, if I drink any caffeine, <laughs> I die. Like my body just like short circuits. Mom um, the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, I don't know, this made a lot of sense to me because like, I don't know. For a while, um, I thought for I like when I was younger, I wondered if I was like on the autism spectrum or like Asperger spectrum, because like I did resonate with a lot of, I guess, you know, characteristics of autism, especially the like getting overwhelmed and like sensitivity to things. And again, I don't know if it's related to like being an introvert um, if it's related to the personality trait of openness to experience, which I did a research paper on last semester and is basically like openness to experience is like one of the big five personality traits. And it's broken down into like openness and intellect and openness is like how much you take in and then intellect is supposed to like make sense of everything you take in. Um, and like people who are high in like openness, like they just take in a lot of information so I don't know. Yeah, this doesn't really change anything about my life, but it was just like, yeah, no, that like I, I don't I feel like I had heard this term before, but I never really researched it. But like I do believe I am a highly sensitive person because I like things to be calm and quiet and yes. <laughs> so that was just a fun realization about Jen. What were the other things that were HSP stuff? Because I, I remember reading that term, but it does not describe me. Yeah, no. So I didn't know you were not. I didn't know know that about you. (laughs) No, and I don't think, like, like, I wouldn't say it's, well, I guess, I don't know. I was talking with my partner about, like, how cool would it be to just, like, be able to switch bodies with someone for a day? Because just imagine how incredibly different everybody perceives the world. Just, like, you know, the thoughts, like, the body, just, like, how weird would that be to be able to, like, just switch bodies and experience a different body. Well, um, so one of the things that I find really fascinating, I think I've talked to you about this, but one of the things I used to wonder as a kid was like if people perceived colors the same way I did. Cause like I could point mm-hmm. the thing and say that's green and you could be like, yes, it is green, but maybe the way you see green is what I see as blue or something. Yeah. But we both identified as green because that's what we've been taught to like say. But anyway, I, um, that was always just something I wondered as a kid. And I found out as an adult that that actually is like a thing because the number, not, not quite the way I put it and like probably not what I see as blue, you see as green or vice versa, but the number of rods and cones everybody has in their eyes determines how you perceive color. And everybody has different proportions and amounts of these rods and cones. So actually, yes, the way people see colors is, is different than the way hmm. you see colors. And this was most notable. It's it's more less for like color flipping and more like in terms of saturation. Um, because I have a friend who had a brain tumor and she had to get surgery and it impacted the way that she saw things. 
And after she had the surgery, all of the po- the photos she posted on Instagram were insanely saturated. Like they would just be like, you know, level 90 saturation on the editing. And I asked her why I was like, why do you keep like oversaturating all your photos? And she was like, well, that's how I remember seeing things. Like to me, that's what it looked like before my site changed. And I was like, holy shit, that's wild. Like literally the way she sees the world in terms of colors is like less saturated now, which is super depressing, but yeah, yeah. wild stuff. Yeah. One of my friends has, I'm, I think it's called synthesia. I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it's where like your senses mix. Yeah, yeah. You can like see color or sorry, not like hear colors or like see. Yeah, well, texture. how 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 he had it was like words to him. Like he could read them, but like they always had like a color, like yeah. words had colors to him. Mm-hmm. And he said that he hated his name because it was an ugly color. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Oh, poor kid. I yikes. Actually, yeah, Zach was uh, colorblind, which was really oh. funny because his clothes wouldn't match a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took him shopping several times because he was like, I don't know how to pick out clothes because they won't match Aww, if I do it. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I saw him. Did I mention? I So we, we broke up like three months ago, I want to say. Um, and we hadn't spoken because he wanted space because, again, he is avoidant. <laughs> um and uh, we actually just reconnected uh, this, like, two or three days ago. We met up and chatted, and it was lovely. Um, we agreed. When we broke up, we agreed we were going to remain friends, but we obviously hadn't done any work on that front because I think we were both still kind of healing and taking space. Um, but we finally met up, and we were like, yeah, we do want to stay friends. So we, like, set new boundaries. Um, I think I'm going to do it more formally next time because there was some, like, awkwardness when we were hanging out of, like, is it still cool to cuddle or is that too intimate? Like, obviously we're not going to have sex anymore, but like, where is the line? So I think next time we meet up, I'm going to be like, let's draw up some like hard we physical should boundaries. So we should definitely not have sex right now. We should definitely yeah. not have sex right now. Well, and we, Zach and I have had several phases where we like tried to stop having sex and then didn't. But this time I really think we should, like, I think we should firmly stop having sex. So we're going to try to hold to that. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how long it lasts. It, typically with Zach and I, we're like, we're not going to have sex. And then like a week later, we're fucking again. But we're going to try <laughs> this time to set healthy boundaries and keep them. We'll see. I'm also moving. So it's like kind of whatever at this point, because I'm going to move in like two months. So um, those were all the notes that I had up to the point that I'm at in the book. Um, but if there's anything else you wanted to address. Mm. <laughs> Another thing, I know we already talked about this in depth, but I just am so blown away by how well this <laughs> preoccupied type describes me when I am under anxiety. One of the <laughs> things that this book said is that people who are um, more preoccupied, you know, we're, pe- we're people pleasers and define ourselves through relationships and stuff. And one of the things it said was they were more likely to engage in sex that they didn't fully want. And I was like, hmm me (laughs) the Mm -hmm. amount of sex i have had where like during the sex i've been like do i even want to be doing this like am i even having a good time but like it would be awkward to like put a stop to it so i'm just gonna like be here like (laughs) so much and i'm like i need to stop doing that Mm. oh 
it so much mm-hmm. me, but I highlighted that because when they were like, they're more likely to engage in sex they don't fully want, I was like, <laughs> I feel personally attacked. <laughs> Stop coming at me, book. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> uh, we're getting better. Oh, also the part where they were talking about boundaries. Um, that preoccupied people are more likely to set porous boundaries or boundaries mm-hmm. that they don't really keep. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to, which is why I'm trying to be better. I think Zach will be a good practice for me of like, Zach and I set the boundary of we're not going to have sex a lot and then go back on it. And we're like, nah, we'll have sex. I think this time I'm going to be like, let's set some hard boundaries and let's stick to them. And this will be good practice for me to not have porous boundaries. (laughs) I'm going to set hard boundaries and stick to them like a healthy, well-adjusted adult <laughs> yeah you are <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna try at least um okay what were other things that i ha- oh oh so the funny thing about you saying you're more avoidant um i kind of wondered if you would also be more preoccupied just because when they were talking about the parenting styles that led to the different attachment styles i mom and dad were just to a t the parents that lead to anxious or preoccupied attachment like to a T like I literally on their bullet points of like the parenting styles I would write like this is dad this is mom this is dad this is mom this is dad like to a T <laughs> and I like do by also- and large they were also good like they did also have the traits of like the parents who raised secure children like they were by and large good but like all the things that they did to like or that they said were were representative of parents who raise children who end up being preoccupied was also mom and dad <laughs> Yeah, I did also mark the highlight uh, that said attachment styles is not a parent blaming game or scapegoat. No, for Um, sure. And and as I just mentioned, you know, we grew up in the same household and I think we did develop different styles. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not your attachment style is not solely from your parental figures. Like, I think there are also experiences I had in life that led to me being secure, but somewhat preoccupied um but still i think i mean all of the parenting things were just mom dad mom dad mom dad yeah (laughs) oh i also did like so when we started talking about attachment styles both of us were like secure is obviously the best one and like these other ones are like things you need to fix about yourself however the book does talk about how each of the different styles has its own strengths and values. Like there are perks of being preoccupied. One of which is that like, you can read people very well. Like I am very good at reading my partners and my friends. Like I very often know what they're feeling and I know how to help them. Like it is kind of a superpower. And similarly, they talked about um, people who are high in avoidance and that dismissive attachment type are very autonomous. They're very independent. They're very self-sufficient. Like they, don't need a lot of help. Um, So while, I mean, secure is still definitely like the best, but they did talk about how like, you know, if you're practicing or in a state of these other attachment styles, you're not broken. Like there are pros, there are a lot of cons, but there are like pros to having these attachment styles. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think also that like everything comes back necessarily to your attachment style. Because, like, I do think, like, personality has a bit of, like, you know, influence and, like, a lot of factors. Um, and also just, like, I don't know how they kind of phrased it, like, I don't know, like, it's kind of a balance of, like, you know, 
being attached versus like I think they described as like connection and like autonomy and like you know secure people just kind of have a good balance yes Um, and like I don't know again I think like maybe there can be some just like different dispositions where like there are some people who are just happier being more lonely and some people who are happier being you know, completely immersed in people all the time. And maybe that's an introvert extrovert thing. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think there's the the classic lesbian trope of the U-Haul lesbians that just meet and immediately move in together and rely on each other. I think that's honestly just two preoccupied types meeting each other and staying preoccupied. And like, if you're happy in that and you find another person who is also happy in a state of preoccupied attachment, like, that's cool. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Like, that can be really good. I mean, it, it is a balance at the end of the day. And everybody's, like, healthy balance points might be a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. moral of the story is I need to start choosing partners who are a little more preoccupied. <laughs> I'm, I'm not fully preoccupied. Like, I would still describe myself as a secure attachment person. Yeah. Like, 90% of the time. Yeah. Um, but when I am in... I think my problem is you know, it's, it's when you're under stress that you get kind of triggered into these other ends of the spectrum. So like when mm-hmm. I get stressed, I get triggered into my preoccupied attachment. And when Zach got stressed, he would get triggered into his dismissive. And what I need to do is find people who are like me. And like, when they get stressed, go into preoccupied like I do. So we can like rely on each other. <laughs> and I did not have compatible types yeah. when we were under stress. Um, but it is a balance. And I really like, I highlighted the quote on page 63 that was talking about the balance where it said, we need to find ways to feel sovereign without losing our connection to others and to be in communion with others without losing our sense of self. And I really like that. And I think I need to work more on my sense of self and my sovereignty because I do tend to rely on others and define myself through my relationships. And yeah, I need to do more. Oh, I guess another thing I was going to say, and maybe it is just like, this is the, preoccupied part of me but I also consider myself a pretty good people reader like the career I'm going to is all about like understanding people so again I don't know that's just another thing of me saying of like I don't know that everything boils down to attachment styles um I don't know it'd be interesting to like read more about how attachment styles interact with personality types because that's something that I resonate with a lot so I think that would be interesting to see kind of how that like the patterns and how that plays out with different personalities. Yeah, I, that definitely would be interesting because I I feel like preoccupied is probably highly correlated with extroverts, but maybe not because you can be an introvert and still be preoccupied, but maybe you just want like one person, not like a party. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that is an interesting concept of the intersection between personality type and attachment style. Was that all of your book notes? Yep, those were, I was just skimming through and the points I highlighted and that was all of them. All right. I'm I don't know. I'm I'm I, I don't want to insult you, but I'm 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 a little surprised that you read so much because in the past you haven't been much of the book reader when it comes to it. Listen. listen I want to be a book reader. I would love it if I was a book reader. I think book readers are so cool. I am not. <laughs> I know, does, I'm just saying I was surprised and pleasantly, no, it, pleasantly surprised. It, it does take active energy from me to read books. Like, it's not when people are like, oh, in my oh, free time, so I'll like leisurely read a book. I'm like, that is not a leisure activity. Reading a book takes effort. Like, you got to think, you got to process information. Like, that's not a leisure activity. The, that is a 
task. This this was something that we talked about because I was discussing with my partner how I'm a highly sensitive person. And like part of the thing with like highly sensitive person is like having rich inner worlds. And she said to me, she was like, I am bored most of the time. And like, I need external stimulation. And I was like, I could live alone inside my head for many years and not get bored. And that's why most of the rest of the world is just kind of like, ah, ah too much. I already have a lot going on. I can't handle you right now. Um, so that's why I, I like the realm of ideas. So I love reading books and escaping into a little fantasy See, land. But no, I would agree with you that like I could live in my fantasy land for a long time. And like I do have a rich inner working, but that's why I don't need books. It's like, I don't need more stuff. I'm like, I have enough up here. I could just sit and daydream for like hours and hours. Like I don't need, like I have to making me focus on like someone else's ideas and take in other new information is like energy <laughs> taking from me. I still, I do really like this book and I, I know I do because I wouldn't be reading it if I didn't like, it really does take a good <laughs> book to get me to sit down and read it. Cause it's not something I would do naturally. But like books like like this and like when we read Sex at Dawn and like The Ethical Slut, like those are books that have like held my attention. Um, but yeah. yeah, I am not in my natural state a reader. <laughs> I thought about and maybe I've said this before, but like the portion of my childhood, like up until I graduated college that I spent just reading books. You devoured books. You read like nobody I've ever met in my life. Except you for except so for Joey. Much. Joey is also quite the reader. Joey is also. Um, yeah, but you but yeah. and Joey read like like it's nourishment. It's ridiculous. I was a worm of the books. You were a worm of the books. The completely unrelated note, but related to something we talked about last time, which I don't even remember if I p ended up putting it in the podcast, but I um, I went out to lunch with my partner and a friend and that friend's parents. And uh, the friend is queer and has told their parents that they are queer, but the mm -hmm. parents are not accepting of that. Mm -hmm. So my partner and I decided not to come out to them either. And... We, she also, she had met the parents before. And so she told me, she was like, just don't say any of the like liberal stuff essentially. And I was like, <laughs> I will do my best. And I did pretty good. There was one time where I almost kissed my partner and then I was like, no. And then there was another time <laughs> when I brought up socialism in a, in a way that you could have conveyed it that I wasn't necessarily advocating it, just saying that there was no ethical action under capitalism. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I did pretty well. But again, again, I don't I don't remember how much we talked about this last time, but just like it's so sad to just like censor yourself around people. And it's sad for those Ugh, people because like they is. don't get to know me. But yeah. it also but it also made me think of like I don't think like as as loud and proud as I am, like, I don't think I'm, like, very out to, like, pretty much anyone in our extended family. And no. that, like, I don't know, I hadn't considered myself, like, not in the closet to them. I'm just not super close with my extended family. But, like, it's like, yeah, I think a lot of them don't know. And a lot of them probably wouldn't react greatly to maybe i'm being a harsh judge. Yeah. But in my mind, it's no. like, I, there, there are several of them who I don't think would react very well. Well, and I think it's a bit of a vicious cycle because I am intentionally not out to our extended family because I've asked mom if I could come out to our extended family and she's been <laughs> like, no, like, I don't want to ruin these relationships, just keep the peace. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't care that much. And I think it's a bit of a vicious cycle, though, because I think you start out not being super close to them 
and then you can't share this part of yourself and then you grow farther away from them because you can't be your authentic self. So why would you want to be there if you can't be your authentic self? And then they get a sense that they don't really know you. So they don't feel as close to you because like you're obviously holding back and then it just perpetuates. And you just, I think eventually we won't have relationships with those extended family members because we can't be authentic with them. And on some level, I think they have to sense that. Like, even if they don't know that it's because we're queer, I think they would still sense that, like, we're not being fully authentic with them. And I think those relationships will just deteriorate. Like, I don't think we're going to stay close with those people. And that's sad, but, like, that's the reality is, like, you know, I either we get to come out to them someday or they just never know us and it fades. And... I think our parents have chosen never coming out um, for us. And that's fine because I don't really care to know a lot of our aunts and uncles and cousins that are more conservative. I'm happy to leave that be and let those relationships just be fine. Um, But I think when our parents die and we are older, we just won't have relationships with them anymore. Or we could choose to come out to them and see how that happens. Um, But at that point, I don't know if, will have just be so unattached from them that we'll bother but yeah well I mean I don't know that's something I wanted to think about because like I do think that like I don't know and like this could slash does implicate you as well but I do think like I you know at the moment at least want to keep the podcast going and I kind of want to you know like try to expand it but I think that requires kind of like attaching my identity to it and it's like I know mom has like you know, not wanted us to like necessarily come out to our extended family. But I, I don't know, like I, at least with the rest of the world, I'm like comfortable of like attaching that to my profile. to like my public identity and like, you know, advocating for queer rights and poly rights and, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, I know that could cause some drama with the family, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It's hard because it's like, I would love to have a relationship with my family, but like if the choice is being myself or having a relationship with someone who doesn't accept me for myself, like I would rather choose to be myself, but it's like, I don't know. Oh, I agree with that. Ethics of that. Because it's like, I fully agree. I, the only reason I have not come out is because mom and dad don't want us to like they, so yeah, that's the thing. Like just because mom and dad don't want us to like, but I don't know if like, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's, it's not, if it was up to me, I would come out to our extended family and deal with whatever consequences that meant. However, one of the consequences that might entail is that our extended mam- family cuts off or damages relationships with our parents. And so it's not only us, we have to think about it's our parents relationships. And I know, so but I'm saying like, if parents, I want to become like a professional in the queer slash poly space, I know, I know it's going to have negative consequences for like our parents and like that sucks, but like also it's not my fault if our extended family (laughs) is shitty, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to do that to our parents, but I also want to like be myself and do that publicly. And Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's hard. My, my train of thought growing up, even before you knew that you were queer, because I knew that I wasn't straight since I was a junior in high school. And my logic was always, well, I I won't come out until I have to. Like if I'm ever dating a woman and in a relationship with a woman and like, then I'll come out. But, you know, otherwise I'll just, you know, they don't need to know it's fine. And I think that might in part be why I, I didn't end up dating a lot of women because I knew if I did, 
it came with a lot more baggage than dating men. Like if I, if I dated men, it was like not a big deal. But if I ever had a full relationship with a woman, that would have meant I would have been in a situation where I would have had to come out and that would have been a lot of drama. So like it was, it's a lot more cost effective to just date the easy men. And like, you know, I wonder if, if we didn't have the extended family and that wasn't an issue, if I would have been dating women a lot sooner. Um, I don't know. Probably. I think probably I would have experimented more with women than I did if it wasn't for the extended family situation, which is sad, but I don't know. I mean, I think particularly if you become a professional in this space at some point, it might just make sense to come out and mom and dad will deal with the consequences. Yeah. I don't know. There are, I don't think people would react as negatively as we are afraid of because I think in mom and dad's generation, they might've reacted terribly. And I, but I think views are better than they used to be. I, I don't think it'll go well. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it'll be all sunflowers and daisies, but um, I don't think it'll be as bad as what mom and dad are afraid of. Um, but it's still not going to be good. So I'm not trying to, I don't know if you, especially if you become a professional in this space, it probably will make sense for you to come out at some point. And when, and when you do, I will, to, to be clear, I am going on the chopping block with you. Like if you come out, I am going to be full force right behind you. Like, <laughs> so you're not going to be alone. Like if you come out, I'm coming out, but yeah, it's, uh, it just, it's, yeah, I don't know. I just, it just made me realize I was like, I'm a little more in the closet than I thought. And like with queerness and like with polyness, poly, polyness, polytude. <laughs> I don't know um it's just like it's like I don't know like I'm out to like my you know nuclear family and like we're very lucky to have accepting parents of Mm -hmm. that but it's just like I forgot that we have more family yeah well I also kind of forgot until we went to go visit that did I talk about this last episode I don't remember but we went to visit we talked about it but I don't remember how much I cut out and how much I left in okay well we went to visit extended family who are of the conservative variety and with which I am not out and it sucked like being in a space where I wasn't out was terrible like I had to monitor what I was saying every five minutes and like I I worked from home while I was there. And while I was there, I had a meeting um, with the pride group at work because I'm on, on the pride committee in my, in my company. And when we had the meeting, I realized I can't talk out loud during this meeting because if I say anything relating to this queer event we're having or my sexuality, they're g- going to hear it and I'm going to out myself. So I literally, when the meeting started, had to type in the chat box like, hey, I'm with my aunt and uncle. I'm not out with them. So I'm going to type in the chat box instead of saying things out loud. And everybody like, you know, heart reacted and sent me hugs. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, yeah, this like actually really sucks. Like I didn't think about how much this was going to suck, but it sucks. Like, and I didn't want to be there. Like literally mm-hmm. as soon as we got there, I was like, can we leave? Like, can we just go? Like, let's go to the lake. Let's go shopping. Let's go. Like, let's just go do something. Cause I don't, this is not a fun space for me to be in. Like it sucks. Yeah. Sometimes you get lost in your little queer poly bubble and then you, you pop do. your head on. You're like, what the fuck is going on out here? Who well, the fuck is you, in charge? What are you people doing? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. Cause you do just get like all of like, I, have high standards for my friends that I choose to keep in my life. And like, they are all very accepting and very open-minded and very nurturing. And 
I forgot there are people that exist that do not live up to my high standards. And sometimes I have to exist in the same spaces as them. And that sucks. Yeah, yeah, it does. (laughs) Mom was, I was ranting to mom about a situation with a boy I recently had. And uh, mom was like, well, don't you always say the Bo Burnham quote of lower your expectations? And I was like, no, not with people in my personal life. Like you either grow and you get better or you're out. And like, again, I hate cutting people out. I do. I hate doing it, but I fucking will. Because if you don't grow and change and show me that you're capable of being better, why would I waste my time on you? Why would I do that? Like, I I, I wouldn't. I have an, other people in my life that are better. And like mom was like no lower your expectations like well and the thing with men too is that mom is always like you gotta like give grace to men because men are dumb and i'm like you know <laughs> or you can just be friends with only women or like only men that reach up to the bar mom was like so the situation i had with this guy he was an idiot but like when i pointed out his idiocy he recognized it and was like i will reconcile and fix it and i was like i'm sure you will but still what the fuck And mom was like, well, at least he's capable of recognizing it. Like, that's a really good sign for a man. I was like, yeah, but like, he's been dumb (laughs) a lot. The bar is so low. The bar is so low. I'm like, at a certain point, like, it is good that you can recognize when you do wrong and grow and change. That's great. But at a certain point, it's like, all right, I'm tired of helping you. You need to, I'm going to just step back for a minute. It's just, you can't raise all the men. You know, like I've raised so many men in my day and I just, I'm tired. I'm tired of raising men. Uh, yeah. Keep, keep, keep only good people in your life. You deserve that. I, I think again, with reading this polysecure book of how I tend to rely too much on others, I do hate cutting people out, but I think I need to start doing it more because I will tolerate people for longer than I should. And I don't want to go to the far extreme and like, I have had friends, River in particular, who will like, as soon as one thing goes wrong, they cut people out and they're done. And I don't want to do that. Like I do, Mm -hmm. I believe in second chances. I believe in growth. I believe in forgiveness. But like, I do think I need to get better at being like, I'm done. (laughs) Like I'm tired. Mm -hmm. This is over. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we will probably have to do if we come out to our extended family. Cause I think some of them will probably try to accept us and it won't go well. <laughs> like I anticipate there will be a long period of us educating and, you know, I think there will be a lot of needing to step back. Um, there will also be family members who will probably just straight up not accept us. Like there will be family members who will straight up just be like, no, and we're going to have to deal with that too. But I anticipate some of them will try. Yeah. And we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Or we could just go off the grid, start a poly commune, only let you know, the good people. <laughs> yeah, we can just move and start our own commune and not ever talk to our extended family again and it's their loss. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast app. If you really like us, like 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 us send this episode to a friend family member partner your boss anyone else in your social circle the people you want to convert to polyamory start a conversation feel free to send us any comments or questions over social media so thanks for listening bye bye